0: folks, and welcome to the Empowering Dietitians podcast, where each week I explore a different topic to help you feel more confident and connected to your work as a dietitian. I'm your host, Jess surtikoff Ramola, a registered dietitian, dietitian supervisor, and owner of Empowering Dietitians, where I work with dietitians just like you who are tired of the status quo in our field and are ready to reclaim their confidence, passion, and purpose. And today I have something special. This is the 100th episode of the podcast. And to celebrate, I'm reflecting back on some of the top episodes from the past 2 plus years along with new updates, insights, reflections and thoughts. I can't wait to share this bonus episode with you. Um welcome to the 100th episode of the podcast. I started this show back in May of 2020, and it has been such a fun adventure. It's been played in 65 different countries over 20,000 times. It's unreal. So thank you for listening in. I wanted to take some time to reflect back on some of the top moments of the podcast since the beginning with some commentary from me. Maybe some behind-the-scenes stories or quips, how I've grown or changed since that episode aired, or why I still find it so relevant to this day. I've taken the top five episodes. I'm really tempted to give a shout-out to number six because it's such a good one. Uh, It's episode 68, questioning your decision to become a dietitian, especially because so many dietitians are currently questioning their work and career paths. If you haven't listened to that one or it's been a while, go check it out. It's honestly one of the top ones I wind up sharing in Facebook groups and whatnot because so many dietitians are in a rough existential limbo at the moment. Now, for the actual top five, I've pulled out some clips from those episodes. And like I said, I want to share some updates or reflections or reminders with you. Are you ready? Let's get started. Our first episode, the fifth most popular episode on the show, is episode 42, Clinical Confidence, Weight Inclusivity, and the Pandemic, with Sarah Griffin. And specifically, one of the things that we talked about was a step that Sarah took when she wasn't feeling particularly fulfilled by her job to start to feel more valued, respected, and satisfied without leaving the hospital she was working for.
1: The reason that I wasn't super happy in my job was because I didn't feel like I had good relationships with the providers. Mm-hmm. And this may just be my hospital, I suspect it's not, but in my hospital, the dietitians work in the basement in a room that nobody ever sees, yep. they don't know where we are. And um, previously, now we, we have texting, so we're able to text the doctors, before that it was paging. So in order to communicate with the doctor, we'd have to page them, ask them to call us back and wait till they call us back. That was very disconnected, right? So maybe twice a day for five minutes, you're talking to a doctor, they never see your face. Mm -hmm. We would chart on our patients, we'd go up and see our patients and then we'd go hide in our office and finish our notes. And I didn't actually do this intentionally. I did it because I had a severe dry eye and the, the light in my office was really aggravating it. So I went upstairs on the the floor and I started charting with the doctors because there was like this beautiful picture window that looked over the mountains and there was natural light, which really helped my eyes. And so I started doing that um, probably like a year and a half in, I want to say. And it was remarkable. Like overnight, Mm -hmm. I could see the difference. Oh, who are you? They always thought I was some specialist because they didn't (laughs) know who I was. And we wear lab coats in our hospital and the doctors usually just dress business casual or scrubs, but a lot of the specialists will wear lab coats. And so a lot of times they thought that I was like, GI or psych or something, but it really opened the door to these beautiful conversations with my providers and be like, I'm the dietitian. Do you want me to see anybody? Do you wanna talk about anybody? Um, every time there was a new hospitalist, which is kind of like the doctor of the day, um, every time they hired a new one, I would make a point to go and meet that person and say, I'm the dietitian. here's my card, here's how you consult us. Here's how you spell dietitian, (laughs) et cetera, et cetera. And I, I just formed these really beautiful relationships with these providers. And to this day, I still spend a lot of my day on the floor because I realized lots of other professions like speech, PTOT, they spend a lot of time on the floor. They talk to the nurses in person. They talk to the doctors in person. So why are dietitians hiding in their office? And feeling like we're under underappreciated, well, go up and meet people in person. Yep.
0: I chose this clip within the episode because I can't tell you how much interdisciplinary communication comes up with the dietitians I supervise. And to be sure, there are always going to be people who genuinely don't like you or who you don't vibe with or who don't really want to get to know you we'll deal with those people differently or separately but we can't know if all of these people we're having issues with are because of those issues or if it's because we haven't fully taken the time to get to know each other at least not until we try one of the things I struggled with as a pretty big introvert when I worked for the supermarket was really forging relationships with the other employees. It was a pretty tough hurdle to get around. I had a nice cushy office. I mean, it was it was a tiny office, but I, I did have my own private office, which is more than most people in a supermarket can say. And... I didn't work every weekend like pretty much every other employee had to, and a lot of my time was spent sitting in my office working on projects on my computer, and I was expected to eat lunch by my office phone so I didn't eat in the break room with everyone else. I kind of realized at one point one of the only times I was really truly interacting with other employees was either when I needed their help with something or when I was trying to like put on a fun event for them, and of course they wouldn't didn't want to participate in my super fun free event that I set up. Not only did they not really know who the hell I was, I was just some young white girl who didn't have to like do the hard physical work that they were enduring. But also suddenly I wanted them to take literally the only short break they had to themselves during their stressful shift to like learn about nutrition. Hard pass. (laughs) I realized that I needed to really get to know them as people. And I had to talk to them, not just when something was wrong or I needed help. Again, I'm an introvert. That's kind of hard for me sometimes, especially, I mean, there were, I think, about 350 employees. That's that's a lot of people. Um, and I won't say that in my time as a supermarket dietitian, I ever mastered this, but I did go on to forge a handful of very meaningful relationships because I took a few people and I started there and I really got to know them. I made it a point to thank people and go out of my way to acknowledge when a department or an individual was doing something well, rather than only pointing out problems or areas of improvement. And I won't say I left there with like BFFs for life, but even having a handful of genuine relationships where I wasn't only coming to them as a dietitian or coworker, I was also expressing interest in their lives and well-being it made such a difference so all of that to say don't underestimate the power of like being a human let's, let's start there and then if we still have some assholes who are making our work miserable and don't seem to want to get to know us at all well okay we'll talk about those separately and i hope that that helps a little so moving on to our next clip number four on our countdown, so to speak, is actually the very first episode I ever recorded, episode one, The Empowering Dietitian's Journey. I'll let the first few minutes of the episode give you a glimpse at what it's all about. I became a dietitian in 2013, and everything was amazing. I landed my dream job out of school, I was living in a new apartment, I had just adopted two adorable kittens, and everything on the surface seemed fantastic. So what was the problem? I was absolutely miserable. I was overworked, I was disconnected from myself, I had absolutely no confidence in myself personally or professionally as a dietitian, and I talk a lot on my page about my quote-unquote quarter-life crisis that came around 2016. And it was at this point when I was at about my three-year mark being a dietitian that my type A perfectionism really took over. It started to affect my confidence because when we are kind of caught up in our perfectionism, we are holding ourselves to such high standards that we never feel like we're good enough. And we never are able to develop that strong self-worth that we need to feel confident. Now, the issue with not having a lot of confidence is that it then starts to trickle down into other things. So my lack of confidence was also affecting my assertiveness. I didn't have the confidence that I needed in order to kind of stand up and stand my ground for opinions that mattered to me. And again, this was both as my work as a dietitian and beyond that. So you could find me going into a restaurant and I might ask for something or a slight modification on a menu item and if they said no, I would dissolve into tears. Or at work, if I received a um, critical email from my supervisor, it would really stress me out because I wasn't able to stand up tall against the people in my life. And it was really affecting my overall health because not being able to stand up for yourself affects your your stress levels a lot and of course when we start to question ourselves when we are not able to stand up for what we believe in as dietitians it starts to pull us away from our own intuition and this was one of the last things that perfectionism really uh, compromised in my life so I started to focus so much on what I felt I should be doing to be a quote-unquote good dietitian, to live up to the expectations that both I set for myself and that I felt society set for me. And I really started to lose touch with who I was. I was kind of going through the motions of being a dietitian and living my life and checking off the boxes that society tells you you should check off, but I wasn't necessarily feeling fulfilled. And I I know a lot of dietitians are expressing similar sentiments right now. So if you're feeling that way, know that you're not alone. There were a few clips I was tempted to share with this episode, but I think it's really important to hear that piece of how these issues I was struggling with, they were culminating in a lost sense of self. And honestly, I was... 26 going on 27 it was the summer of 2016 when my world's just kind of imploded and now six years later the summer of 2022 there are still ways that I'm grappling with who I am I want to be really honest about that I mean I'm about to turn 33 next week and I mean the person I am today is in so many ways a, a totally different human compared to who I was in 2016 and also I'm still not some fully formed, permanent human. None of us are. That's kind of life, right? Changing and growing and grappling and getting to know yourself a little bit better, hopefully, year after year. I don't want anyone to look at my journey and think, man, she was struggling in 2016 and then look, she turned her whole life around and was super confident and sure of herself and life was wonderful within a few short years. I mean, yes, to some extent, um, I'd even say within that first year, I was worlds different. The commitment that I made to myself at the end of 2016, early 2017, it it was huge. And I really started to learn who I was deep down outside of society's expectations for me. And I became so much happier and more grounded. And, and you know, me, there's always an and, not a, but an and. Discovering yourself isn't really a great term because I don't know that we ever like 100% reach the destination of quote-unquote finding ourselves. I think we get to know ourselves better like any relationship and some days, some moments, some years, some whatever, we'll have a closer, stronger, more intimate relationship than others. In other words, don't let my path or anyone else's dictate where you should be at this point in your life. Be right where you are. I recently was listening to Brie Campos from Body Image with Brie talk about how she doesn't really like using the word journey for someone's relationship with food or their body because it implies that there's some coveted destination to arrive at. And honestly, I'm really starting to think about how relevant that is to the work that I do with other dietitians, and also the quote-unquote work, so to speak, that I do personally she has her own terminology for it, which I like, but I'm starting to view it personally as a wandering rather than a journey. We're just wandering. Maybe we don't have a set agenda. Maybe we don't have a concrete time frame. And there's probably not going to ever be a point where we're like, okay, I'm done. I know myself perfectly and there's nothing left for me to explore. It's more like we wander around And discover new things and turn a corner and find something new and maybe we double back on our tracks and revisit shit we thought we were over and done with and on and on we go we wander through life maybe sometimes aimlessly maybe sometimes with a little more intention but always with open curiosity and the knowledge that we're going to keep wandering no matter what we find now I have developed more inner confidence over the past six years, and that topic came up in the next episode I want to share with you too. The third most popular episode is episode 16, Confident Salary Negotiation with Stacey Dunemke. The episode itself talks a lot about different tips and strategies you can use to embody more confidence in both written and verbal communication to assert the value you and your work bring to the table. One of the tips that Stacy gives us is to encourage us all during hard conversations, like asking for a raise or going into a job interview, to pause, which I absolutely loved. Check out the clip.
2: And you are suddenly in this hot seat. So if, if you come up with a situation, he comes up with all these really fabulous ideas, but he, he welcomes the idea of waiting a little bit. If you're not comfortable with the question that was just asked for a variety of reasons, maybe they ask you something that's actually not a, not a question you want to answer. For example, uh, what salary were you making at your last job? which is um, illegal in many states, but people will still ask it, whatever. You don't need to call them out on that, on on the illegalness of that. But when you get in that situation, what you can do is turn that hot seat back around, offer it back to them, that hot potato, take the last couple words of what they've said in their question and present it back to them in a form of a question. Oh, what was I making in my last job? and then you wait you don't you don't try to answer your own question there you wait and make them answer the question. You sit back up in your chair, you get your composure, you swallow, you breathe, lots of breathing. You put your hands back down in your lap and you make eye contact and you close your mouth Mm -hmm. and you wait and you wait and you wait. You wait for three or four seconds. Don't give in. Be comfortable with that silence. You don't have to be negative or uh, unfriendly about this, but it's just a way of being able to recapture your power so that you can say what it is that you want to say. And then they might reframe that question, uh, or skip over that question again, or just it gives you some maybe more insight into what they wanted to really learn. It may have just been, you know, completely. Um, lovely intentions, but but maybe it was to make you feel a tiny bit uncomfortable as well. So the, the, he has lots of great tactics in that book. I love, I love reading through them. Again, some don't always apply <laughs> to, to sure. our profession, but they're good. They're good to understand that it's okay to embrace silence. It's okay to ask questions and it's okay to be prepared to uh, say what it is that you want to say.
0: Absolutely. And I think The power of the pause is something that we often feel uncomfortable with. It's a counseling technique as well. Learning how to sit in silence and not necessarily jump in right away is hard, but it's a powerful move in a lot of different aspects of our jobs. And when it comes to salary negotiation in particular, it's hard to do. I know because I've been in that situation, but it's also so important. And I love that you give that tip because it's something that I think I could probably work on as well.
2: Oh, ditto, right? You know, it's something you have to be conscious about it. But by giving back that power to somebody else or taking that power, it it gives you that time to just... Breathe for a second and think about what it is that you really are, are there for. Because sometimes we get into conversations, into situations, especially ones that make us nervous, and we go into comfortable language uh, that's familiar, that's not always healthy, right? It's and it's it's completely normal. It happens. You know, here I am, thirty years out, and I still have to remind myself of these these um, tactics or these techniques to to uh, do what it is that I need to do and get. To where I want to go, and I think it's also important when you're talking about salary negotiation. Sometimes you think it's not just for me; it's it's for my entire profession. Eventually, that you know we are we are this pool of of people collectively that can sort of move move this mountain along. It's really hard with just one person, but if we're always moving in that direction together as a group, we have so much more leverage. <music>
0: A lot of times, we have gut reactions to fill uncomfortable moments in some way. In our daily lives, we flip open our social media apps and scroll mindlessly. In a work situation where that's not an answer, we may feel pressured to fill that space with words. Silence feels super uncomfortable, so we try to fix it by filling it in some way. And I know it always feels longer than it is, which again is uncomfortable. It's by far one of the reasons why I talk so much with my supervisees about sitting with discomfort, not jumping right into fixing mode. First of all, because chances are, it feels longer and worse than it is in reality or than how it's being perceived by the other person. And second, because it can really help you come at the situation with more intentionality, gathering your thoughts, Calming your nervous system, regrouping, and deciding what step you want to take next. So if you're one of my clients listening, you know my spiel already. And honestly, it's becoming a bit of a mantra on all of my platforms. So I'm sure if you're a listener, you've heard it too. Sit with discomfort. Pause. Learn how to withstand that urge to
1: jump into action.
0: Take a deep breath it'll be okay. Now let's all take a nice big breath in and out and transition to our next podcast clip. Like how I did that? (laughs) Coming in at number two is episode nine, The Other Side of Clinical with Stephanie Schwartz. Stephanie is the dietitian behind the account That Dietitian Life, and she has always been a fierce advocate for clinical dietitians. When this aired in 2020, we were seeing a rise in business coaches for dietitians, and there seemed to be this narrative on social media that going into private practice was the way out of your awful clinical job, so to speak, or the only or best way to make that coveted six-figure salary as a dietitian. And Stephanie shared so many amazing perspectives to challenge that notion that there is ever only one right or best way to be a dietitian. For this clip, though, I specifically wanted to pull from the end of the episode when we started talking about challenging black and white thinking about our careers.
1: Right, if you say you have kids and, you know, having a part-time clinical job works for you or a per diem one, you know, those options are there too. And, um, you know, maybe later in life you want to do private practice. You know, there's just options. There's almost like options for every life stage.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And you also don't have to be black and white. You could say, you know what, I want to work per diem or part-time in a hospital. And I also want to see clients on the side. Um, or also want to work at a community location part time. There are
1: exactly so many
0: options that we don't necessarily have to fit into one column or one label. As a dietitian, we can pick and
1: choose. Right, you can be so many things. That's part of what's so cool about our field.
0: Absolutely, I know that you know. I've stayed with my community position throughout my entire um, seven years as a dietitian, but throughout that time, I've also had this business with dietitians, and I've also written articles on the side because I have a passion for writing. I did a blog for a bakery. Um, I did all kinds of oh, different, so
1: cool. Right?
0: I just, I did all kinds of yeah. things that sounded interesting and that were different from what I did in my nine to five, um, that kind of built on some of my other passions. And those are options to you as well.
1: Right. Like I make memes on the side.
0: Exactly. <laughs> And it doesn't, we don't always have to monetize everything that we're passionate about. Um, I, yeah, I, go ahead.
1: I, was, I get asked a lot, you know, <laughs> if I plan on monetizing my meme account, and I don't currently right now, I really just do it for fun. And because I love connecting with other dietitians. Yeah,
0: as a, uh, I don't know if it's my ambition, if it's my perfectionism, but there's something about my personality where I tend to try to turn everything I love into a job.
1: Eh. Yeah. And then it becomes a <laughs> I feel chore. That. Yeah.
0: And then suddenly it just kind of pulls the spontaneity and the passion and joy out of it. Not always a hundred percent. I still might enjoy it, but it's, it's different from when it's a hobby or a pastime. And right. I think we've kind of lost the art of having hobbies. I wanted to pull this clip specifically it, it doesn't highlight Stephanie's incredible nuggets of wisdom as much as the other clips I considered, but it's something I have been thinking a lot about and something that has been coming up quite a bit with my supervision clients. I think sometimes we get into our heads that we went to school for five plus years and jumped through all these hoops to earn our credential and now we're a dietitian and that's how we make a living and that's it. Except it doesn't have to be. I was just having a conversation with a one-on-one client last week about how much she loves performing and singing and how often she is told essentially that she missed her calling. And that's brought up so many questions within herself. Did she choose the wrong career? Or on the other hand, does she even want to turn her passion for performance into a job? Is there something wrong with keeping her talent as a joyful hobby? What's more, would she lose some of that joy if it became her full-time job? There's no right answer here, but I do encourage you to think beyond the black and white all-or-nothing perspective, that like, we are either working 100% as dietitians or not at all, or that if we're good at something or enjoy something, we should turn it into a paid gig. Not everything in life has to be treated like a job, and not all of our work has to be tied to our degrees to be meaningful or fulfilling. Oh, and by the way, if you enjoyed this episode with Stephanie, check out her second visit on the show earlier this year, episode 93, all about her transition to outpatient oncology work. All right. So now the moment you've been waiting for, right? Like drum roll, the number one Empowering Dietitians podcast episode. I should say fairly unsurprisingly to me, it wound up being episode 37. Should RDs be able to use their credentials however they want? This came out in March of 2021 when the Academy decided to start enforcing some obscure policy from 1989 regarding the use of the RD or RDN credential here in the US. At the time that I recorded the episode, we didn't have a lot of information, and the Academy did what it always does, what big companies always do. It skirted the issue, it bided its time with fake clarifications that didn't actually clarify anything, and then it quietly swept the issue under the rug. I'm still mad about it, honestly. It's a tired kind of mad, though. It's an unsurprised kind of mad. And that's a dangerous kind of mad. Because it's bordering on complacent. And complacency allows these issues to continue. Big organizations get away with their bullshit because we're so caught up in the stressors of our daily lives and we're so caught up in our own individualism that there's very little infrastructure for community activism. We can't sustain our anger for these big issues going up against a system. That's what this clip is really about. Take a listen. other words, we have to choose our battles. And I know dietitians want to care about everything. It's the passion in us, but we can't care about everything. So are we going to choose to care about this? Are we going to choose to try to fight for a world in which we can list the letters RD or RDN in our business name? Are we going to choose to fight for that, even if it means potentially more red tape in areas like interstate practice or latent consequences that we can't even currently anticipate. Maybe. Currently, I'm looking more into it. I'm certainly frustrated by the uh, contradictions in the current policy and will be advocating for more uh, clarity that way. But I haven't decided if ultimately this is a battle I'm going to fight because... I haven't figured out how much of an issue it really is, again, until they clarify it for us, then it's an issue. And to be certain, this lack of transparency and the financial consequences that will have on many dietitians who have already incorporated their credentials into their business or logo, that's a problem. And enforcing some obscure policy the academy doesn't communicate properly is unethical in and of itself and I will pretty much always step up and speak out when ethics are involved. But maybe you or I or we decide there's larger fish to fry. Maybe there are other causes we want to devote our time and energy to learning about and advocating for. We will burn out, or at the very least, live very stressed out, high-strung, and angry lives if we choose to get riled up over every little thing. I'm not here to tell you what to fight for, But I am here to remind you that you're going to have to choose and that you cannot fight for it all. So I have to say, a year in, I'm still frustrated. I'm frustrated all over again, knowing that over a year later, nothing has changed. But again, tired, frustrated. Because ultimately, the issue isn't that the academy is doing another fucked up thing. The issue is the academy itself. And it's going to keep doing fucked up shit, because that's what it was designed to do, to uphold oppressive systems and power dynamics within the field, and continue to assert its dominance over the profession. So in terms of what do you have the energy or capacity to fight for, I don't know that it's the little issues like these that are worth our time. And I say little issues hesitantly, knowing that these quote unquote, little issues have very real impacts for many dietitians. But you know, maybe maybe it's it's some of these issues, especially again, if they affect you directly. Yeah, you might. Uh, put more energy into these specific examples of what's going wrong. But I think we have to look at the big picture of why the academy's values are so misaligned with so many of ours and what we can do about that. That's how I'm feeling about it anyway. But again, you have to come to your own conclusions. You have to decide what you're going to fight for in this situation and in every other There's so much to be angry about right now. So many things that weren't on our radars in March of 2021. And we may want to care about it all. We want to do something about it all.
1: But we probably can't. We have to choose. And isn't that true about everything?
0: It's so tempting to try to do it all. Go after all the continuing ed. Learn about all of the different specialties. Invest in all of the courses and coaches and whatnot. Solve all of the social justice issues that we're seeing. We can't do it all. We can't know it all. But we can do something. Don't let the overwhelm of everything on your plate or everything in this world keep you stuck in place choose something. You can always shift or pivot or change down the road. You can always add something if the one thing you choose starts to feel uh, a little bit smoother, a little bit more manageable. You can always shift, pivot, or change. I know I have. I know I will continue to moving forward.
1: And if nothing else, that's what I want to leave you with today.
0: So I want to thank you again for being a listener to this podcast, whether this is your first episode or your 100th with me. Like I said, I have had such a blast the past two years, and I'm really looking forward to what the next 100 episodes will bring. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Empowering Dietitians podcast. If you're looking for more content like this to help you overcome burnout, imposter feelings, and limiting beliefs that are holding you back from feeling confident and passionate about your work, grab my free 10-day journal for dietitians at www.empoweringdietitians.com free. In 10 short days, I'll guide you through your first steps of overcoming burnout and imposter feelings and get you on the path to feeling more confident as a dietitian. Again, the link to grab your copy is www.empoweringdietitians.com slash F R E E. And one last thing, if you found this episode valuable, it would mean the world to me if you would share it with your dietitian friends and leave a positive review. Those two things. Help this podcast reach more dietitians who need to hear these messages. And together, we can really start to change the landscape of our profession for the better.